0: Love. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Joshua, our producer. Happy birthday to you. It's episode 34 of season 3. Hi,
1: Julie. Hello. Happy birthday, Joshua. Happy birthday, Joshua. Thank you so much for all of your help with our podcast. You do everything for us and we appreciate you. We can do all things through Josh. Yum. Amen. Amen. Hey, Renee. Hey, Julie. um, What topic did we do this week?
0: Bitch, we ripping bodices.
1: Hells, yeah. Now... Bodice Ripper is a term that many people have heard of. Many people conflate with romance as a whole. Mm -hmm. I know I certainly would have before this podcast. But thankfully, we have our resident romance researcher, Renee. (laughs) Love a good alliteration. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. Um, Tell us, what is the story behind Bodice Rippers? I'm so glad you asked. um, Because I actually... Well, we
0: decided to do bodice rippers was because the term is infamous. It goes hand in hand. It's interchangeable with romance. But the second I Googled it real quick, um, I learned a lot more. Because <laughs> it doesn't actually have a really positive beginning. So let me get into it. All
1: right. Hit so, us. All
0: right. <clears throat> so bodice rippers. It actually describes a short and very specific moment in American publishing history. It actually only lasted between like the 70s and 80s. Um, So actually, bodice ripping refers to the ripping and removal of clothing in romance books that's typically not consensual. Um, And so because it originated back in the 70s, it actually occupied the same cultural space as the feminist movement, which I thought was a really good point. And that, you know, feminists were fighting the patriarchy and romance novels were kind of propping it up, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because the whole genre of bodice rippers are just the opposite of what feminism stands for so um according to the book beyond heaving bosoms which you know i'm gonna read um <laughs> bodice rippers are quote typically set in the past and the hero is a great deal deal older more brutal and more rape-tastic than the heroine but heroines on the other hand were very young virginal women whose purity was kind of paramount to their worth in that universe so The rapist turned true love hero was the standard character in those books. So, um, Bia Koch, who is um, co-owner of a bookstore in the States called The Ripped Bodice, which I thought was really fun. Mm What they said was with heroines eventually falling in love with their rapists, the books offer an uncomfortably sanitized glamorization of rape and romance that modern readers understandably find difficult to contend with, right? And I can say that as somebody who read an original bodice ripper this week, Mm. it was complicated. It was a very complicated read. So one of the common theories about that is that the plot device was popular because of the era's repressive sexual attitudes appealing to women who wanted sex but didn't feel that they were, you know, allowed to openly express those desires. However, um, author of Making Meaning in Popular Romance Fiction and English professor at LaGuardia Community College, um, her name is Jaya Sri Kamble. Uh, She disagrees with this theory, explaining that these stories deeply address another cultural issue of the time where rape was a real part of women's lives and a constant threat. So, you know, if you think back to the 80s and the 70s, um, the victims of sexual assault were saddled with the stigma of being tainted or, quote, secondhand goods. So by incorporating romance and having a woman marry the man who took her virginity, um, a heroine avoided having to find someone else who would want want a ruined woman. Right,
1: mm-hmm. so that's
0: kind of where it comes from, and I can say that we've read that in even modern romance, right? Mm-hmm. But reading what I read this week, like I, I get it. <laughs> I get what they mean by that. So over to like the cover art. We all know, you know, the the cover art of romance novels are something that we've kind of always laughed at and always poked fun at. Everybody, we all do it, right? You know, mm-hmm. it start, but it started with the bodice rippers, and then eventually moved into Fabio, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So the cover is traditionally can't be traditionally cheesy, Um, but it's agreed among kind of, you know, experts in publishing and experts in the romance genres that they were largely designed for men. And so what I found was that as male cover artists transitioned from working on the pulp novels of the 1940s and 50s, they carried over a style and artistic point of view that focused on how female characters looked into those covers for romance books so before female readers could buy books stores had to stock them right Mm -hmm. and it's widely understood within publishing and uh that the salacious covers were made to appeal to male booksellers um, and their expectations of the genre so when we think bodice what do we think of any guesses we think of titties yeah we think of boobs so You think about the covers, they typically featured what women with their chests kind of like heaving out of their tight dresses, clutched in some like muscle arms, with men with their shirts wide open or scantily clad characters, quickly becoming the visual shorthand that appealed to the male gaze and signaled to readers what kind of storyline they could expect. I think, you know, that is a situation where we always judge a book by its cover. I know,
1: absolutely. I,
0: I buy books for how they look a lot of times, and that's a big part of my collection are those like lady with her skirt flapping in the wind and her legs out, never wearing shoes. Like let's oh, talk yeah, about never, that. Ne- I not mean never. as someone who's a shoe
1: fiend, I know. Yeah.
0: yeah. So at the time, these uh, types of covers were the only ones available for romance readers. So publishers interpreted high sales numbers as a sign that the formulaic and campy covers worked, but we know that they're wrong. So back to um, Jaya Sri Kamblay. Um, she explains that the cover art, which was absolutely about period clothing, think about it. Do we ever see any modern ones really that aren't jokes mm-hmm. where they're not wearing period clothing? Um, it was probably where the term bodice ripper came from and originated. And um, so it says here that, you know, by the end of the 70s, um, places like the New York Times and Chicago tri- Tribune were using the term bodice ripper dismissively. So it was kind of really where we got the term where it sort of settled. So As for modern times, you know, the 1980s changed the genre again, because this whole idea of like the forced trope really became less mainstream. People really didn't want to read that anymore in the 80s, um, at least the way that it had. So that started to die out a little bit. Um, But today, um, you know, there is a a big, big, big push towards more feminist romance and feminist literature. But Those modern authors are still also trying to, like, pay homage to the books that kind of started it all. So um, they recognize, though, that a romance novel, by definition, really prioritizes romantic relationships above all aspects of the characters' lives. So we have seen you know, in more um, kind of feminist romance stories that they do have a larger focus on the characters, right? We see that all the time, as opposed to just them trying to get a man. Right. And so mm-hmm. authors, um, there's an author called Celia Grant, who explained that in a culture that already bombards women with the message that finding and keeping a man is their most important goals in life. It can be difficult to make a case for romance as a feminist friendly medium, which I would agree. But um, we've definitely done the work here. On yeah, Rabbit's we have. Book, and we know we have. It's possible. So part of the way that people uh, kind of pay homage to the, the trope is I was reading that there are some authors that work in a bodice ripping in every single book, but it's always like the the heroine has to rip her bodice to like save the day, so she does it herself. Mm. Or there's one author who always has a man's shirt get ripped in their books. Oh, yes. So yeah. people are being subversive, people are pushing back but still honoring the roots, honoring where it came from. So I think there's so much to learn about where romance started and where it's come from and, and where we're at now and I think it was, a, it was just really cool to learn all this about bodice rivers. I think there's probably a ton more to learn. And I actually bought a book to read about kind of the history of romance books. Cause I want to learn more, but, um, I'm excited that
1: we got to do this this week because
0: I learned so much.
1: Yeah. Thank <laughs> you for that. I had no clue of any of that. And it's one of the things that I definitely love about this podcast journey with you is that it's, you know, foreign to both of us. Like neither of us were Mm. in this space, in this world before the podcast. And so it's nice to just like, yeah, be an adult learning new things. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as H core feminists that we are, we do love to, you know, unpack and deconstruct stuff, but there's so much garbage around romance. And even like you were, when you were talking about uh, bodice rippers as like a euphemism and then how it became, um, like yeah just like almost a dismissive term for an entire genre i feel the same way about like chiclet Mm, you know like in the 90s when shopaholic and bridget jones and all these books were just killing it on like bestsellers lists there it exploded the genre of like beach read chiclet that was just a genre and now is like a dismissive term like if someone calls your book chiclet it feels like an insult you know and yeah. you're like, hmm, and I think- what's the common theme? Things that women like are dismissed. Yeah.
0: That's what I was going to say is that, you know, since day one, you've always stood on the hill that, you know, things that women like, even though, you know, we're a huge market, we pay the bills for people, you know, that still, um, whatever we like, people like to hate. So I think that's a, a really, really good point.
1: Well, and keeping all of that in mind, I chose a traditional historical romance so what many people would think of as a typical bodice ripper but Mm. i purposely chose an author that i know is feminist as fuck and unsurprisingly my book was so good this week yeah oh my god i think i know who you chose can you tell us yes i did i i think i think this might be the first time the first time um, that I read the same author twice. Like I've oh. read her before and I purposely sought out, I was like, I bet you Courtney Milan has some. Yes. Yes, uh, I yes, did I it. Knew it. I knew yes, it. Yes, I did. So I read the- And I just,
0: oh, before you go on, when I was looking up um, bodice rippers and I was finding modern, like lists of modern
1: bodice rippers, her name came up all the time. So I love, I love that you you went there. I do. I- loved uh, the first book of hers that I read. So I read The Governess Affair. And part of the reason why I chose this one is that it's the, it's a novella that starts a series. So I thought, okay, if I'm into this, then I can keep reading the series and I am into it. So if you don't know who Courtney Milan is, her real name is Heidi Bond. And she's an American author of contemporary and historical romance, but she's probably most known for, I mean, her books are incredible, but Um, she was a huge supporter of me too. And in her previous life was, um, worked in law. She came forward around me too, to, uh, call out a judge that she had worked with that had sexually harassed her. She also has been very vocal about the need for more diversity in romance. And in particular from the romance writers of America. And there was a whole dust up about a year or so ago because of racism within the RWA. So she's like, everything we love in this world right feminist super talented political um just rad so i knew she would deliver so i previously read her mrs martin's incomparable adventure which longtime listeners will know is when we read about older women in romance and that book was so good and so spicy um so i read the governess affair which is was written in 2011 And is the start of what's called the Brothers Sinister Series and it was so good so we're in London October 1835 and the Duke of Clermont is married for money to a woman he does not respect and in fact two weeks after his wedding is caught cheating on her she finds out ditches him he needs her in order to get his monthly allowance from her family. <laughs> so not because he gives a shit about his wife, but he's on a mission Ugh. to get his wife back so he can get his money. And to complicate things even further, he also has this bit of a problem where he needs to pay off this governess that he knocked up. Oh. And she's showing up and she's looking for reparations. And he is just like, oh, I got all these bitches to wrangle. <laughs> so he gets his henchman, Hugo who is known colloquially, I can never say that word properly, as Wolf of Clermont, because he's a real henchman. And he says to him, you got to set this right. Get rid of this woman who's saying I owe her anything and get my wife back. Um, Because otherwise, you know, you're not, I'm not paying you. Uh, What am I paying you for if you're not going to clean up my, my bullshit? So Hugo is not interested in this petty bullshit. He has no respect for the Duke, but he's got to do his job. So he gets paid. So he's get tasked and what he's told is to get rid of this woman named Serena Barton who has insisted that she will come every single day and sit on a bench in front of the castle and she will just sit there and sit there and sit there and basically do a sit-in until she gets reparations from this guy and he's like I cannot have this woman hanging around people are gonna start asking questions and I'm trying to get my wife to come back I can't tell her oh I also knocked up this random fucking servant like this is not good get rid of her mm-hmm. So the henchman's like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'll go out and deal with her. Well, he goes out and deals with her. And he's actually like quite smitten with her because first of all, she doesn't recognize him. And then she kind of makes some remark about like, well, I'm glad it's you and not this, you know, the hench, the wolf of Clermont. Cause I hear he's really scary. And he's like, oh, is he? And she's like, yeah, I heard he's a real brute. Um, and she's saying, you know, look, I want reparations from him. And he's like, well, what happened? And she's like, I'm not telling you. It's none of your business. And it comes out that she lives alone with her sister. Her sister's really agoraphobic and won't leave the house. So they don't have a lot of money. And she wants reparations. And she's using really vague language. And he's like, you mean money? And she's like, no, I want reparations. And then he's like, well, let me, like, what do you, and she's like, no, I want to talk to him. I want to deal with him. I want him to give me reparations or I'm not leaving. And sure enough, she shows up every single fucking day. Pissing rain, she's sitting there. Boiling hot, she's sitting there. And this Hugo comes out every day and tries to negotiate with her. And then she realizes, holy fuck, you're the Wolf of Clermont. Oh shit, oh shit. And she's like, but still, I'm going to keep doing it. And he's like, I don't harm women. I don't harm women. I don't want to harm you. You just, you need to fucking leave. You need to just take some money from him and then leave. Well, then they end up doing this little cat and mouse game. So he hires some like poor peasants in town to just sit on the bench all day. So then she shows up. She's got no place to sit. So she's like, fuck it. I'm going to stand the whole time. And he's like, holy shit. I'm kind of impressed. Like she's standing for eight hours and all her petticoats and her heels and all that shit. She's real determined. Then it's pissing rain and he hires people to sit on the bench. So she just sits and she just stands there in the rain, doesn't care. So he starts to warm up to her. He brings her tea at one point, brings her an umbrella, just like pleads with her. She's like, nope, nope, nope. Um, And then they start doing this kind of witty banter back and forth. It's like a little bit flirty, but they're still, you know, I'm here for a reason. And um, at one point he, she stays all night and he goes to leave and he's like, let me just walk you home at least like, Jesus Christ, let me walk you home. And so they're kind of walking and she's trying to tell, she's like, you know, I should be so scared of him. He's like the Wolf of Clermont, but I'm just, I'm vibing. I don't know. I'm just, we're vibing. And then he steals a kiss and they have a little makeout session. And then he puts his hand on her body and then he puts his hand on her stomach and she flinches and he's like, oh my God, she's pregnant. And then realizes like, it's like, yeah, the guy told you that he had, knock this woman up, But anyways, I guess he just thought maybe he had lied about it or something. Anyways, realizes, no, this chick is fucking pregnant for real, realsies. And then realizes in talking to her that she's way too innocent to have thrown herself at a duke. So he's like, this woman was raped by this fucking Aww. guy. And now I gotta fucking work for this guy and get rid of this woman even though she's poor with pregnant with her sister and her kid's gonna be a fucking bastard and he's not gonna be able to amount to anything. So... They next day he she comes back and he offers her a big old chunk of money and tells her, take the money, go find someone to marry you before you show that you're pregnant, and then at least your kid will get some semblance of a future. And she's like, Yeah, uh that's probably not gonna fucking happen. That's not really a good plan. I really need him to give me more. And he says, Why don't you just marry me? I'm single you can marry me. She's like, well, I don't want to fucking be with you. And he's like, well, I don't want to fucking be with you, but marry mm-hmm. me. Your kid will have some legitimacy. You'll get a little bit of money from me and I'll get the Duke to give you a bit of money because you're going to get out of his hair. And then you can go live and the life that you wanted. And she was like, well, I always wanted to live on a farm. And, you know, I really wanted to have my own land. And he's like, then do that. Just marry me. And then at least your kid will be legit. And so she decides after some hesitation, fuck it. This is the best plan I got. I'm going to run with this. So they go and have this like civil ceremony and she's like, okay, so do we need to consummate this marriage? And he's like, no, we don't. You're obviously not comfortable. You, this man stole your virginity, which again, language we don't use on this show, but stole your virginity. Um, Clearly you're not like, you're freaked out by this, which I get. And I don't want you to be scared of me. And she's like, no, I really want to consummate this marriage. And so then they have the spiciest, nice. most consensual fucking sex I think I've ever read in any of our books. It's so sweet and so spicy. And the way he does it is like he, she, because she's got married, so she has all of her hair up in like an updo, and he takes all the pins out and puts all the pin, which is like extremely romantic. I don't know if you've ever had anyone like take the bobby pins out of your hair. It is like shockingly intimate (laughs) yes my hairdresser and i are very close for that reason um no for real like me my ex that was like the thing is we would go out to events and i would get all femmed up and then i would come home and he would see me struggling trying to pull the bobby pins out of my hair and then he would be like just just sit on the floor and i would sit on the floor and he would like massage massage my scalp and take the pins out and you're just like it's so romantic so he does that puts all the pins in her hand and then says if you want me to do something you have to like for each pin, I'll do something, but you have to ask. Oh, and then, right. And then he gives her a pin. Like he, he, she takes, like he gets a pin from her for each thing. And then she's, he's like, okay, can I do what I want with the pins? And she's like, yeah. And it's things like touch yourself and shit. Oh my God. Like it's too much. So obviously she's dripping. It's like a WAP situation. They fuck, they have a grand old time. And then she, she, is all like lovey-dovey. And he's like, this is actually why I didn't want to consummate this marriage. Cause I, we were going to catch feelings and we can't catch feelings because we can't be together. And she's what? like, no, no, we need to be together. And he's like, no, I have to keep working for the Duke in order to make any money at all. And you clearly can't be around because you're pregnant with his baby. And he knows you're pregnant with his baby. So like his wife's not going to come back. Like, it's just, it's too messy. We can't. So they're heartbroken. He goes back to work she um goes off on and lives and settles on her land and her sister you know gives some money to her sister for so that she can stay in the apartment because she's agoraphobic um goes yeah goes back to the castle they write each other letters i'm gonna read you some of the stuff because it's like basically sexting in the 19th century and i'm here for it and then finally he comes back works his magic convinces the ex-wife or like the wife of the duke to come back so now the duke is like oh my god you got rid of my pregnant whore and you got my wife to come back to me fucking right i'm gonna pay you the money that you're owed everything is great and the way that the duke talks about serena as like oh you dealt with the whore and now that he knows that this man raped him he just fucking loses his shit on him he beats him nice Mm. he beats him and then gets him to write an acknowledgement letter to acknowledge that, yes, I had sex with this woman. I knocked this woman up. Um, and if she has a son, he will go to this private school. If she has a daughter, she will go to this private school. And he's like, so now you can't get out of it because this is a contract. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. I'll, you know, just, just don't hurt me anymore. And he's like, yeah, no problem. Leaves, shows it to the wife. So now the wife's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, the husband that cheated on me two weeks after my wedding also got a woman pregnant. Fuck him. Leaves him for good. So now he doesn't get any money at all. And then Hugo is bye, and he goes back to the farm to reunite with his woman (laughs) with all of his money. And he's like, "I'm gonna raise that baby like it's my own, and then we're gonna have our own babies, and they're gonna go to fancy private schools because this fucking piece of shit's gonna pay for it, and we're gonna be together forever." And she's like, "Yay!" the end oh yes fuck Renee it was so good extremely well written like her books are always so solid yeah um like like you said the bodice ripper sort of elements like she was absolutely sexually assaulted but instead of her like falling for him or whatever she like also doesn't recognize it as sexual assault because she's like I didn't scream or make any noise and then like Hugo explains to her like you that's still not okay. And like yeah. even though he's like this big brutish man, he's like super gentle with her. And like it's consensual and feminist and lovely. Um in terms of spice, I mean I'm giving it a a solid 5 out of 5. Now because there's no such thing as spicy food in Britain. Uh mm-hmm. the only good spicy food in the UK is from India because colonization. Um so I'm giving this 5 out of 5 spicy pakoras. <laughs> Nice. And in terms of the sex toy, um, The Satisfier. What is that, Julie? The Satisfier is kind of a low-key version, kind of a knockoff version of a womanizer. Oh, um, okay. it's like a clit suctioning toy um, oh. that is as effective as a womanizer, but significantly cheaper. Um, nice. and I just feel like his entire vibe was sex is only good if we're both into it and like Love it. literally used his bobby pins it could have been like suck my dick like there was no renee there was no dick sucking in this book <gasps> oh my god oh t- t- 10 out of 10 <laughs> right a lot of, of you i'm like this was the spiciest sex scene and there was no fellatio oh, uh man. yes so can't get enough we'll absolutely keep reading this series um yeah, like the Brothers Sinister series. This book in particular was called The Governess Affair. Um and there was a little preview at the end for the first book in the continuation of the series. It also looked really great. So honestly, mm. cannot recommend Courtney Milan enough. Um but since you read an actual bodice ripper, mm. who I'm bracing myself. What'd you read? Take us okay. on our journey.
0: So I took to Goodreads and I took to Reddit. Um I found out that there was a book called The Flame and the Flower, uh, which kind of started the genre. Now, I didn't read it because all these books are like 400, 500, 600 pages. So I was like, I need to find something that's a little shorter Um, because I read it. I started last night. (laughs) I started last night and I finished it today. Um, Now, like I said earlier, that most of the books were from the 70s. Mine was not actually from the 70s, but it was on every single list that I read. So mine was from 1991. From an author called Joanna Lindsay. And
1: I'm pretty sure I've read oh. Joanna Lindsay before.
0: My mother was very into Joanna Lindsay. Yes.
1: yes yeah. She's iconic.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she wrote a book called um, Prisoner of My Desire. And before I get into that, I just, I found this list on Goodreads that had it was very, very clear. It was like, these are the real bodice rippers. Do not add to this list. Um, and it was oh. because... If, you, if anybody fills up this list, it's just going to be Joanna Lindsay. So this person didn't consider Joanna Lindsay to be the level of bodice ripper that they were trying to, to put together. So here are the suggested reasons that they made this rule of their list. So uh, here's what they have on their list. This is what they consider to be true bodice rippers. Books okay. with rape, gang rape, multiple <laughs> abuses by a hero, oh, brackets, a slap doesn't count, slavery and the abuses slash degradation that comes with it, incest, child abuse, random, random extreme stuff like castration, very underage heroines, violence and slash or gore and necrophilia. So for those of you at home, that's what you would read in a traditional bodice ripper. Yikes. Yes. And on the list that they have, I actually have a couple of the books in my collection that I bought just based on the covers. Um, one that I was going to read, but chose not to, it was called Gypsy Lady. And I chose not to read it because of the title. <laughs> I don't, I don't Fair. use that word in my home. So anyway, so my book was called Prisoner of My Desire. Big fans on Reddit, big fans. They really enjoyed it. And you know what? I did too, but it was very, very complicated And here's why. So my book was set in 1152 in England. So medieval era. And um, right off the bat, they describe our main character as small and fragile. um, And (laughs) that's really what this book is about. So Rowena Bellamy um, is, I guess, an heiress. And years before, um, her father was murdered by... um, this, this family who I guess would be considered warlords, but what they would do is they would, they would pick fights with people in other kingdoms, trick them and kill them and steal their land. But what they would do is they would marry the widow of whoever they killed. Um, so her stepfather is that man. Now he's died and her stepbrother Gilbert is beating the shit out of her mother. And he's doing this because Gilbert Even though he has some affection for Rowena, um, he is all about making money. He's all about, you know, what is going to make me the wealthiest and the most powerful. So he has arranged a marriage between his stepsister and this uh, creepy old guy called Lord Godwin Lyons. And Lord Godwin Lyons owns a ton of land and has a humongous army. So Gilbert wants to get his hands on it so he can challenge this other warlord um who is the lord of Falkhurst, and get all this land that he owns and uh rowena's refused she's been taken she was taken away from her mother for three years um until now where she was brought back and she's just getting to see her mom beaten to shit so finally she's like okay fine like just don't hurt my mother like i'll marry him so she goes immediately. She doesn't even get to spend time with her mom. She gets taken to this this Lord Lyons, and the man is the crypt keeper. He is like eighty years young, but you know medieval eighty. So he's just gross, and like she wants to throw I just, up.
1: I just want to say that I don't <laughs> think it's ever been said when you're like he's like a ten for like a small town, but I've definitely never heard like. He's like an 80, but like a medieval 80. Nobody, nobody should live that long in medieval times. No, I mean, they didn't believe it. Moisturizer. It was a whole thing. Sorry. Did not mean to interrupt, but I was like, you know, like a medieval 80. I'm like, yes. So like a modern 110. Yeah, He's a mummy. And they
0: describe him in the book as being like, Skeletal and has Ugh. like a wisp of hair on his head gross. and like two teeth, and he's like, eh, heh, heh, like, cackles like a fucking old witch. It's disgusting. Gross. The description of this man, gross. Yeah. So he, she marries him immediately as soon as she's there, and she's freaking out. Now she goes to the chambers to wait this man, and she's like, what the fuck am I gonna do? But her maid is there, Mildred, and Mildred, like, basically raised her second mom. Like, she's so relieved, and Mildred, like, doesn't fucking play. She's like we could kill him. And she's like no, I can't kill him. He's a lord. Like Gilbert would just marry me off to somebody else then. Like I don't I don't want that. And the whole reason she's there is that she has to secure an heir. Because as soon as she gets pregnant, then Gilbert gets all this stuff. Like she has secured an heir for their family, right? And so um Mildred's like, "Okay, look. Um we could we could drug him." and he'll wake up and not remember anything. So he'll think that he fucked you. And she's like, no, like that's not, I still have to have a baby. Like I still have to get pregnant. Like this isn't gonna work. So she's like, okay, look, you might not like this, but I could make you a drink so that you don't remember, that you don't know what's happening um, and you can just get it over with. And she's like, okay, fine. Like I'll do what I gotta do. And she's doing all this cause like she wants her mom to be safe, right? Mm-hmm. And so Mildred makes her this drink and she's about to drink it. But then Gilbert comes in. And he's like, Oh, I fucking knew you were gonna try and poison this old man. She's like, No, you don't understand. And he's like, No, no, you, you just get this over with. It's fine. So she's like, Fuck, now I have to do this. So the old man comes in and he is blind and he is deaf and he is disgusting. He is the crypt keeper. And I don't mean like Jamie Lee Curtis, crypt keeper. <laughs> I mean like he's the literal crypt keeper. And he's like, I guess the beds were so high back then that he has to like climb these little stairs. And he, like, opens up his fucking robe and he's like, come for me, wife. And she's like, no way, man. Like, gross. And she kind of laughs at his dick because she's like, I heard it was a weapon, but this couldn't hurt anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I guess because she's like, she's he's like, no, come in, like, basically play with my dicks so that I can get hard. And she says no. And he has a heart attack and dies. <laughs> what? <laughs> and so there's a whole point where she's like, did nobody ever say no to this man and that's why he died oh
1: (laughs) entitlement
0: yeah and so she's thinking like because he had had other wives right but they were scared of him or they didn't give him male heirs and so he just like dismissed them they used a term for it but like whatever i guess he like just divorces them whatever that looked like in the medieval era um this is pre-king henry (laughs) divorce there's no anglican church in this um and um so she's like oh my god i'm free I'm free, this is great. She's like, okay. But as soon as that happens, Gilbert comes back in and he's like, how did you do it? How did you kill him? She's like, I didn't. She's like, he just had a heart attack and died. And Gilbert's like, fuck. Like nobody can know that this happened because then I don't get my armies. Like, and he's like, did you consummate? she's like, no, he died. He's like, okay. He's like, I'll handle it. So he sends his little goons off into the town and he's like, find me a guy with blonde hair and like blue eyes and bring him to me because he's decided, nobody knows he's dead. So if she fucks somebody who looks like him and gets pregnant, then we've secured the, mm-hmm. the armies. So they come to this like bathing house where they meet this guy called Warwick de Chaville, and he is big and he is scary. And he somehow they they best him, they knock him out and they bring him back. But he was like just getting out of the bath. So he's like only in like a towel basically, like a medieval towel. And it's a sheet. It's just a piece of fabric. <laughs> um and they bring him back to the the castle and Gilbert chains him up in a bed. And he says, "All right, Rowena, do what you got to do." And she's like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "You need to con- you need to have sex with this man and get pregnant." And she's a virgin. What is she? Like she, she-
1: she has not had her sexual
0: debut yet.
1: Um, but also but- if you're gonna say the V-word, you gotta say it the way that you do say it. <clears throat> she's a virgin. Thank
0: you. Um which is a big part of the story. So <laughs> her <laughs> her virginity is a big part of the story. So um he's like, You gotta do what you gotta do. And she's like, I don't I don't know what to do. And she just figure it out. Um, and meanwhile, Warwick has kind of woken up, but he like is a big man. He's a knight. Like, he's not gonna give away that he's awake. So he kinda hears her being like not going to do this. Like this isn't okay. This isn't okay. But he stays, you know, asleep. Um. So he sees her and he's like, Oh my God, she's an angel. She's so beautiful. Man. And she kind of goes over to him and, and she's like, I'm really sorry for what's about to happen. Like, I don't want to do this. I'm so sorry. And then leaves. And so she comes back and he's awake and she's like, I have to take your seed um, and get an heir. And, at first I was like, bitch, why are you telling him your, your fucking plan? Like just, mm-hmm. You're hot as hell. Like you could just get on him mm-hmm. and you wouldn't be the wiser. But she is a sweet angel baby and she does not feel good about this. So she decides, okay, like, I guess I just got to get this thing in me and that'll be fine. Um, So she goes to Mildred and Mildred's like, yeah, you just got to, you got to get on it. And then you got to just move up and down. She's like, it's going to hurt for a second because of your maiden head. And I was like, um, she's like it's going to hurt, but then it'll feel fine. You'll be fine. And uh, so she tries to get on him and he just starts like freaking out. He's like bucking and he's like trying to throw her off and stuff, but he's got chains on. So his, his wrists and his ankles are getting all bloody. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's like, you know, man, he can't say anything because he's gagged and whatever. But it, when it cuts to him and he's like, she's going to steal my seed and steal my child. No. Like, I'm like, oh, fuck brother. Come on. So she leaves the room and she comes and she talks to Mildred and Mildred's like, you gotta get sexy. And she's like, okay, all right. So she gets in there and tries to like seduce him and stuff. And he is quote, and this is a quote that everybody on the internet loves. He is betrayed by his own virility. (laughs) He gets a boner and she's like, okay, I'm going to get on this. Now it's not, he gets a semi. He gets a semi.
1: Gets a chub.
0: Just a little chub. Um, And she gets on top of it and she's like, okay, this is going to work. But it's getting blocked by her maidenhead. It's just blocked by that thick old hymen she got. Until he becomes fully aroused and the dick just punches right through it, I guess. And I thought that was just fun. I thought that was fun. Imagining, like, this little thing being like, boom! It's just just right through there. I thought that was fun. Like like a tremor. Like one of those worms. Like like in tremor. Anyway. (sighs) Yeah. Now... Before all this happens, he's thinking to himself, he's like, she can't possibly do this because females don't rape. That's what he keeps saying. Females can't rape. Females don't know what to do. They don't have the proper parts. They can't rape. Um, But she does it. She rapes him. And he is shook. He is Mm. like, oh, my God. But he's upset because he feels that she has stolen his seed and thereby stolen his child. So he keeps her. She keeps him locked up for a few days. But she is. Committed to getting him out of there. She's doing what she has to do because she doesn't want her mom to get hurt. Um, and she's she's having sex with him and he's pissed about it. Um, he has like she has Mildred go in and like feed her, feed him and like wash him up and like help him piss and shit and stuff. <laughs> um, so it's really embarrassing for him, right? Because Warwick's not just a knight, Julie. Warwick is the warlord, Lord of Falkhurst he is gilbert's enemy and he doesn't even realize that he's there but the reason that he's a warlord is because he had his entire home taken away from him and his family murdered and so he has devoted his life to revenge (laughs) so he's like when i get out of here i'm gonna capture this bitch and i'm gonna do everything to her that she did to me and uh so eventually mildred comes in with some clothes and she's like you gotta fucking get out of here you gotta leave you know, leave and he's like no and she brings him like surf clothes um not like surfing you know it's, it's like like servant serval <laughs> clothing it's uncomfortable to a lord um and he gets out of there and then gilbert takes off to like go he doesn't he doesn't know that like um this guy's been let go but he's 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 left to go to another shire or whatever to get more armies or whatever and um Meanwhile, uh, he comes back and he's talking to Rowena and he's like, are you pregnant yet? She's like, I don't fucking know, man. Like, I don't know. And he's like, okay, well I gotta, I see that there's an army approaching. Um, I'm going to leave you here to deal with that. And I'm just going to go, but just, just surrender over. and I'll come back. I'll get you. I'll save you. Don't worry. And she's like, all right. But then she's like, okay, if I, if I pledge fealty to this, this army, and she suspects it's like the dragon of the north or whatever, who is Lord Falkers. But she doesn't know that the guy that they had tied up is the same guy. Um, she's like, then maybe he'll help me go get my 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 mom back. Um, So she goes down to the little like, I don't know, yard. And she's like, hey, OK, yeah, I'm here to like help out. What do you need? Like, it's yours. Take it. I don't fucking care. Um, nobody knows that her old man died. Like nobody knows yet they just think that she's taking care of him i don't know (laughs) um and uh so this big fucking knight shows up and he's like take her to my dungeon and they're like okay but like she's a lady he's like don't fucking fight with me about it take her to the dungeon so she gets taken to his dungeon and she's like this is a weird way to treat a lady but all right and then there's this gross jailer who's like, I'm going to fucking eat you up. And she's like, Ew. and then this little old guy called like John comes in and he's like, get out of here, you brute. And he takes care of her. and It's really nice and everything. So eventually she gets let out and uh, taken to the solarium, which is uh, Warwick's room. And she's confronted by him. And she's like, you. And he's like, it's me. And now because I'm all about revenge, I will give you back what you gave me beat for beat. um, Exactly as it was you're going to feel the same humiliation I felt. So he chains her up and he has, he met Mildred at the other castle and he takes her to his, but he's like, you can't talk to her. You can't be with her. Like I will give you, you know, you spared my life and that's like a night code and shit. So you, you're going to be a maid to my, my daughters who are shitty. And I imagine like the Cinderella sisters, you know, mm-hmm. like the, Um, but uh, he's like, but you can't talk to her. And so she's like, fine. So she, he rapes her three days, Mm. but he does it the same way that she does it like beat for beat. And then, um, she's like, okay, well you have to let me go now. And he's like, no, you're a servant. I'm stripping you of your title. You're a servant in my home now. So he gives her like this big list of, of, um, chores and all this stuff. And then, um, everybody's like, that's a lot. And they all realize like, she's not a servant. She's not a serf. She's obviously a lady. And, um, yeah he just keeps fucking her and uh she has a lot of chores to do and everybody loves her and he like over time kind of loves her she decides she's gonna try to like uh, trick him into loving her because she finds out that she is bred she is with the child
1: mm. and he
0: finds out so he's like i'm gonna keep you here till you have my baby and then i'm gonna take my baby from you and then kick you the fuck out or send you back to the dungeon i don't know yet and she's like oh my god i don't want him to take my kid like i love this kid i don't like, I don't fucking care. I need my mom. I need my kid and whatever. But he's like, nope. So then the book turns into like him falling for her and her trying to trick him, but then slowly falling for him. And then there's people that don't like him who try to like, I don't know, like fuck him up and stuff. <laughs> anyway. And his daughter gets involved and she's shitty. And then it turns out he has like a bastard daughter and his friend's like, have, have Lady Rowena teach her, you know, the ways of being a lady. So then there's a whole My Fair Lady bit in the story. Um, yeah. No music, though. There's no Ooh.
1: music.
0: Yeah. Um, and so he's starting to fall in love with her. He wants to marry her. They're both becoming really, really happy. Um, but she's like, please tell me you're not going to take my kid away. And he's like, no, I'm going to fucking take your kid still. Like, don't even ask me. And she's really devastated. So, like, over time, even though she's becoming very adept in the sexual arts um she just gets angrier and everybody's like in awe of her because like she's not scared of him when everybody else is really scared of him um but she's like fuck you i don't give a shit um so he is gonna he gets a he gets a summon from gilbert to be like let's meet on the battlefield and duke it out bud and he's like well i know this 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 little shit's gonna try and like trick me so like we'll just go we'll figure it out um meanwhile his daughter beatrix you know is gonna be a nasty cinderella 100 percent. yeah she's decided to set a trap for uh rowena not to like fuck her up but like she wants to get back at her dad because she doesn't like her dad which i'm like you and me both sister <laughs> um so she decides she's gonna like pin a theft on rowena so that she gets sent to the dungeon and then have the shitty jailer down there to like rape her hoping that she miscarries so that um if the dad has like a was going to have a male heir. Like it's going to die. And it's really like fucking dark as hell. Like it's dark as hell. Um, so, uh, Mildred warns Rowena. It's like, we got to get you out of here. Um, you know, and you know, let's just, just I'll hide you till work comes back. She's like, no, she's like, fuck that. Like I'm not safe here. So she's like, okay, we'll go hide in the woods. Then I'll join you. And we'll go over to one of your like banner houses or whatever. um, So she's out in the forest waiting for Mildred and, um, she finally falls asleep and she wakes up to like some dudes standing around her. So she fucking takes her knife out and like Achilles tendon cuts them and shit and just like fighting them. And it turns out it's Gilbert and his dudes. And he's like, oh my God, everyone! I thought you were dead. And she's like, you fucking left me for dead. He's like, I thought you were dead. And like, he loves her. He's like, I love you. He's like, great. Now I have another bargaining chip. And she's like, shit. And so he tells her his plan about how, like, he actually has a big army in the forest. And she's, like, figuring out how she can save the day. Because she still hasn't told Warwick who she is. Like, really? Mm. Um, and so she's like, okay, well, how do I save the day? Nah, nah, nah. And she ends up saving the day and she ends up telling Warwick about how, like, his daughter was trying to do this bullshit. And then um it just kind of solidifies their their relationship some more and they, they learn to trust, but meanwhile she's hiding the secret. So finally, um, he ends up going to like her old castle. Um, and then this like woman and her servant come out of the moat and they're like, We're helping you take the castle, and he's like, Okay. And then she's like, oh, but I saw my daughter in your village or in your camp. So I know I can trust you. And he's like, who the fuck is your daughter? And she's like, Rowena? Like, and so then it all, he like pieces all together. And he pissed. So he sends a message to send her back to the fucking dungeon. Yeah. Send her to the dungeon. He pissed. And then he sends another message to like lock her up in his like solarium again. But she's there for like 25 days and like just her anger fucking festers the whole time as she gets more and more pregnant and um so she comes in and she's like you know what fuck you like I hate you don't ever talk to me again like this is bullshit so he makes her a servant again um and meanwhile i guess her mom marries his best friend uh whose name is Spencer oh, oh and Spencer's a good dude and then um they show up for a visit and her mom's like I want to see my fucking daughter. And, like, I don't know what the fuck you're playing at, but you gotta let her go. She, I'm bringing her home with me. He's like, the hell you're not. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. Did you not realize that she only did everything she had to do? Cause, like, her stepbrother was beating me. And she, he's like, what? And so she explains everything to him. And he's like, oh shit, I fucked up. So he runs and he's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And she's like, fuck you, I don't give a shit. And then uh, he's like, marry me. She's like, no. And then uh, she goes home with her mom. And, uh, and she's in like a new her, her kingdom, like her childhood home, and she's, you know, getting more pregnant. She's pissed, and um, her like everybody starts to like beg her to go marry Warwick, and she's like, no, f- fuck that! Like he's scary. He wants to scare me. He wants to shame me. That's all he's ever been doing. He's been abusing me. Like I don't want to be with this guy.
1: Yeah, but he like shows it. up
0: like yeah, he shows up every month to be like marry me, <laughs> like with a boombox, like a medieval boombox, and uh, <laughs> You're like put it away,
1: you sack
0: it's just some fucking lutes (laughs) uh playing shakira in the background um and uh she's like no fuck that so finally like her due date's approaching and she's like listen even if i've been turning him away he should be here for the birth of his fucking kid and uh so one day she's kind of sitting in her window and she's like remembering how she used to like jump out her window to like climb down into the yard and as a kid she's like having this fond nostalgia moment and a nintendo in the background like a medieval nintendo (laughs) um and then who walks in but her fucking brother gilbert who has been hunted by warwick for all these months and he's like okay listen he's like i'm here i'm gonna marry you so i can like get some fucking armies and shit she's like i'm not gonna marry you gilbert he's like but you have to she's like i don't have to fucking do anything bro and he's like what and then when he's about to like just like get up all in her business to be like, no, you have to, I won't, I won't sleep with you or anything. Just, you have to marry me. I need, I need power and money work shows up and he's like, you cur, I will fucking destroy you. So they start sword fighting. And then, um, she jumps out the window, but she like 40 weeks pregnant. Like she's ready to rumble. And they're like, Oh no. And she's like, no, fuck you. Do what y'all gotta do. And they're like, okay. So they keep fighting while she's trying to scale down the side of a castle yeah and she's like 18 by the way like she's oh,
1: fucking 18 goals. And,
0: 18 and pregnant um so she's trying to get down and she's like that's a 75 foot drop i don't think i can do that and then um meanwhile like gilbert ends up jumping out the window and be like i got you, Rowan. i love you don't worry and then um she's like no get the fuck out of here and then warwick comes down and then she falls through the roof of a church but uh gilbert yeah gilbert saves her and so because he saved her um knight's code says that warwick has to forgive him Um, yeah. So Warwick ends up giving him like an old castle, gives him his old castle back and is like, stay the fuck out of my life. Um, and, uh, then they have a baby and, uh, but before, um, before she gives birth, um, instead of calling the midwife, he calls a priest and makes her marry him before her baby's born, which was a lot like my Amish vampire book, if you'll recall. Um, and, uh, then they're happy, and she gives birth to a son, even though she was trying to have a daughter. Just despite, like, despite him, um, and live happily ever after. So my book was about a woman who raped a man, and then because of his <laughs> fucking male fragility, um, does it back to her for a really long time. And then because the, for the days that she's tied up to a bed, like Gerald's game style, yes, um,
1: Ooh, yeah, she
0: develops a trauma response. Um, where she gets horny every time he's near her, um, and mistakes that for love, and then develops Stockholm syndrome. It was also Beauty and the Beast, I think. It was My Fair Lady and Beauty and the Beast. Um, and th- yeah, she gets all her properties and stuff back, and there's, I guess, a happy ending for midi. It's a, a medieval happy happy ending. Like that's the best outcome for this
1: poor woman. Yeah, but she's not saying much. Yeah. Now
0: <laughs> there was. Two bodice rippings and two tunic rippings oh, of the my. male persuasion. He he tore his tunic and his breeches two times. Um, so it had that. It had that. It literally had, was a bodice ripper. Um, wow. And here's the thing is that the book was excellent. Oh, <laughs>
1: that's the complexity.
0: It, yeah, it was excellent. And even though they were rape scenes and we in a modern context know that they were written in a way that they eventually became consensual and then they were hot as hell. Um, Mm. This book was very complicated and I can see how beyond the fact that it was completely based on rape beyond that, I can see how problematic that would be for a reader because here are these egregious scenes that were romantic and consensual eventually and but that's not at all how it is right that's not at all how it is and i it was very problematic so (laughs) um but it was my favorite part about the book was that they never called it a penis they only ever called it a man root and i thought that was so much fun
1: what man root man
0: root and one time they called it um his his man root was velvet steel and i was like that's so fun what a fun way to describe a big old (laughs) Shalong. Um, now, you know, listen, you know, I immediately give zero out of five for spice when it's rape. You know that. Yep. Given the context of this week's theme, given the re, like what bodice rippers are, you know, I could immediately give it a zero out of five just because of that, but it was spicy. I hate, I hate, it, i hate it. it was a spicy book it was meant to be a spicy book the purpose of the bodice ripper was there um so modern renee is gonna say zero to five for spice but were i a woman reading this in the 70s or 80s or even just not woke or whatever i am mm-hmm. um i would say it was five of five for spice um, okay. But the whole time it was just there and kind of the back of my like it it was problematic. It was deeply problematic the whole time. But I don't know if I would have found it problematic were I not an academic and a feminist. Yeah. If yeah, I were yeah. not a modern woman. I don't know if I would have found it problematic. I there was a time at the end where they're finally like announcing their love and I cried
1: because it was beautiful. Like it was a complicated read. Um yeah. Which is really I mean, so many of the conversations we have on this podcast, right, is that, like, some of this stuff is problematic, but then what do you do if it was still entertaining? Or what do you do if it was still hot? Or, yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not simple. So, okay, we know your spice. What about your sex toy? Okay, so I did some digging. You were there for this.
0: In the medieval era, leathersmiths would make harnesses and stuff. And, in fact, they made harnesses for medieval dildos. For lesbians, so they had straps I, in medieval times. They sure as hell did, Julie. So Ooh. I would pick a strap on, um, so that she could peg him and challenge his stereotypes on uh, his toxic masculinity. Okay, but a cons- consensual pegging, though. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. like one of the thing they did was they edged each other until they like begged for it. Um, Ooh. which again is still not consensual. Um, But imagine a world where they've had their babies and she hasn't died in childbirth or gotten like dysentery um, or the plague or whatever. And they're, they're have, they have a colorful consensual sex life and she's like, Oh, my lover, I would like to switch it up in the bedroom tonight. (laughs) And he's like, okay, let's try. I would do anything for you. I am open to exploring our bodies together in a medieval context. And uh, that's what they do so so are you reading us a spicy scene i am um i am um this is at this point she has decided that she is going to bamboozle him into loving her so that she can get a marriage proposal and keep her baby um and so i'm going to read part of that okay because it was it was a very classically written um sex scene um, like, and by classic, I mean like traditional romance, like what yeah, you yeah. would be. yeah, Yeah. Um,
1: okay. Mm-hmm. Where am I gonna go?
0: So much hair grabbing. Okay. Uh, anyway, how you doing? How you doing right now, Julie? Are you, are you upset? No. <laughs> I'm good.
1: I'm good. I'm, I'm. My wheels are turning thinking about what you said, though, about, yeah, like, the complexity of these things, and if it's just fiction, is it harmful, if it's problematic but still spicy. But, yeah, I'm excited to hear what you're going to read for us, especially because Joanna Lindsay is iconic. Like, she's up there with, like, Jude Devereaux and, like, Debbie McComer and all of these, like, famous, yeah, that, like I said, my mom used to read all the time.
0: Yeah, and I'm just trying to, like, go back and find my spot because I think I lost it. All right. So at this point, Rowena has told him that she wants him. And he's like, all right, all right. Okay. He waited patiently, giving her ample time to take the coward's path. She stiffened her resolve. She would see it through, whatever the cost. I still want you, my lord. He did not answer for a moment. Twas almost as if he could not. And then his voice came out in a husky rasp. I require proof. Show me. She had expected no less. She walked towards him slowly, unlacing her out on the way. Uh, <laughs> this she pulled over her head as she stopped within reach of him. The chemise she unlaced more slowly. In truth, she was mesmerized watching him watch her undress, for everything he felt was there for her to see. And that sense of power was back, giving her a boldness she would not have otherwise dared. "'She let the chemise drop to the floor, "'leaving only her shift stockings and shoes. "'To untie a shoe, she did not bend over, "'but put her foot up on the bed next to Warwick's thigh. "'Twas wantonly brazen, deliberately so, "'and it was his undoing. "'He groaned. "'His arm reached out to wrap around her bottom "'and pull her forward. "'She landed hard against him, "'her knees sliding on either side of his hips, "'and and her back bent awkwardly "'as he pressed his face into the soft mounds of her breasts. "'Twas an arousing embrace.' It also struck a tender chord in her, for he did not else, just held her like that for a time. She wrapped her own arms around his head, not sure anymore if she was playing a part or acting of her own accord, for it felt right to hold him like that. And then he tilted his head back and told her, "'Kiss me.' She did, placing her hands on his cheeks, a kiss void of passion, sweetly innocent, for all of the three seconds it took him to participate. His lips nudged hers open, his tongue licking the insides before thrusting deep into her mouth. For the first time, she thrust back tentatively with her tongue and and felt the thrill of aggression, then was overwhelmed by the passion of her her small response unleashed in him. He dropped back on the bed, taking her with him, his mouth devouring hers now, but he quickly rolled over, pressing the hard bulge of his man-root between her legs, and her pulse leaped, her insides rolled, her heart slammed out a beat. Her fingers had worked their way into his hair and were gripping great handfuls. She needed that anchor for her rioting senses, relieving her control. She groaned when he left her, but it was only to straddle her thighs and and that to whisk the shift from her body, naked now before him. His eyes burned her, then his hands bringing gasp after gasp as they slid slowly up her belly to cup her breasts. One he held captured for his mouth as he bent over to roll the tender bud on his tongue before he tried to draw the whole plump mound into his mouth she lost her breath with the next gasp was unaware that she arched towards him that she held his hand in a vice-like grip unconsciously demanding more she actually cried out in protest when he stopped to lean back again but he displayed no triumphant smile upon hearing it his need was too great leaving no room for petty revenge just now his breath came hard his eyes would not leave her as he attempted to shed his clothing The rich tunic was ripped in its removal. Eh? Rowena sat up to help, but her fingers trembled, so she only succeeded in knotting the laces on his chouses, and those were ripped, too, when he took over the task. Then his manroot was between them, inflamed velvet steel, and it seemed the most natural thing in the world for her to wrap her hand around it.
1: Who? I had paused you because I was eating a chip. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you said that, I went, ha, and then realized that I had you muted, like that I was muted so you couldn't <laughs> hear me, but I, I, I got it. I mean, you got, ve- you got the gist? I, I'm very proud of you because you're usually very opposed to dad jokes and puns, um, but you leaned into it, and I'm really proud of you. Thank you so much. Um, I'm going to read you some witty banter. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> okay, they're on their own little uh, ravage love episode. <laughs> yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you a part where they've fucked and then mm-hmm. she uh you know, they both catch feelings and she keeps as he's walking her back to the trains or walking her to the not the train, but whatever, you know, the carriage that's going to take her to her new farm. She's doing that kind of romantic comedy thing where she keeps being like, "Okay, this is the moment where he's going to turn around and say, "No, I'm coming with you." oh no, this is the moment, and this is the moment, and he doesn't. And so now they're in this weird kind of limbo where he's back at his castle. They're legally married, so he feels like he should at least be writing her some letters to stay in touch. But it's awkward, and it's just awkward between them. Mm. And it's very formal, And, um, the scene I'm going to read for you is he basically can't stop thinking about this woman and keeps telling himself he has to stop thinking about her, but eventually he like kind of capitulates because he's in town and he sees this beautiful scarf and he thinks, oh my God, this would be so beautiful on her. And he picks it up and he buys it and he takes it home and he's going to mail it to her. And then he kind of chickens out because he basically is like i don't want to be the one to kind of make the first move even though they've already fucked right so that's kind of the tone of what's happening he's got the shawl he writes these letters he's got to rewrite them like five times because he just can't find the right tone um so this is where we're at um he found himself standing in front of a shop staring at a sky blue silk shawl wondering how it would look against her skin And then, to his great amazement, he found himself purchasing it. He watched himself in bemusement. Had he really come to this? When he finally made his way home in the deep darkness, he found himself sitting at his desk and dipping his steel nib in the ink once again. Mrs. Marshall, he inscribed, I am delighted that your new home is what you wished for, and that everything is as you've hoped. Please accept my best wishes for your happiness. He didn't send the shawl. He couldn't think of a way to do it. What? Admit that he was thinking of her? That would have been the height of foolishness. The last thing he needed was to mislead her into believing that he would make a proper husband. It wouldn't be kind to raise false hopes, not in her, and certainly not in himself. But perhaps she sensed it anyway, because a few days later, he received the next response. Mr. Marshall, she wrote, I am delighted that you are delighted that I am delighted with my new home. Can I predict the substance of your next missive? That you are delighted that I am delighted that you are delighted, etc. I have just saved us both a great deal of postage and awkward conversation. If we keep this up, we shall quickly run out of ink. And so I shall say this as simply as I can, without once hinting that I expect more of you. I am glad, damnly glad, that I had one night with you. There are dark times in the evening when I imagine your arms around me. For all you claim to be ruthless, you have been my shining, guiding star. Let us not pretend that we mean nothing to one another. We may not be husband and wife in the truest sense, but we have been friends, and we have been lovers, and I hope that we may be friends again still. His lungs ached when he read that. His entire body ached, truth be told, from his toes to his heart. Still, the next morning, he spent an immense sum shipping the shawl to New Shaling, which is where she is, along with a note. Bought this a few days ago. It made me think of you. Uh, I'm going to skip a bit to, like, the sexy, like, the sexting part, because it's very funny oh, to me. It's thank so you. Good. Yes. Okay. So he's basically like, oh, my God, you know, like, oh. I, like, I gotta get my life together and I gotta shake this woman loose or figure something out. No, no, no. That evening, before he'd heard back from her about the shawl, he wrote to her again. You can call me your friend if you like, but I think of you when I stroke myself. When last well, I checked, that points to feelings that are decidedly more than friendly. Have I horrified you too much? He waited days for her reply. We've all been there. You send a sext then you don't hear back <laughs> and you're like, I'm gonna die! okay. He, He waited days for her reply. When it finally came, he read it instantly. Sir, I am a respectable married woman. I cannot express in words the horror and revulsion that arise in me upon reading the sentiments you have communicated. Hugo raised his head from the letter, but he hadn't finished, and some penchant for punishment forced him to continue. Your letter only underscored my own failings. After all, as your wife, it is my duty to stroke you, is it not? Ooh. It was all... <laughs> yeah, it was all Hugo could do not to leave for new Shaling on the spot. Oh, And that's, like, kind oh, of the vibe God. of the whole book. It's, like, it was clever oh. and witty and, like... Yeah, I mean, you know people were getting freaky in the 19th century. You fucking know they were. So... I love that they included that. And apparently, in reading, I've only read two Courtney Milan books, but apparently this is, like, a common thing that she does in her books, which, again, I love just on its own, but also because that's legit. Mm -hmm. Like, the amount of longing that people were going through back in the day, if nothing else, (laughs) because a long-distance relationship meant they basically were dead to you because you could never (laughs) get there, right? Like, in six years, when the boat arrives, I will stroke your cock. Like, you know what I mean? Who's got the time, Renee? Um, yeah, so that was my delightful book this week. Oh, I um, love it. Right? I this was a great week. And I was nervous because when you were like, oh girl, I looked into bodice rippers and that history is not good. Um, I was like, <laughs> yeah. yikes but no, big fan of this yeah. week. Yeah.
0: And you know what? I think we we had fun, we we learned a little bit, we <laughs> had
1: some chuckles
0: <laughs> had some chuckles you know i had some had some big feelings about you know complicated literature and not so complicated literature so you know all in all i would i would do bodice rippers again and i would read another more i would read a more problematic book next time just so we could have a chitty chat about it absolutely Why not
1: thank Why you for not? all that incredible research. Thank you. I love it. I love to give. I love to do it. Well, um, here's the deal listeners. Hmm. We're taking a bit of a break next week. Um, well, listen, I, Julie and I still love you very much. This has
0: <gasps> nothing to do. You've done nothing wrong. You've done um, nothing
1: wrong. Absolutely. You
0: know, we, we love you both. We both love you very, very much. And this has nothing to do with anything that is going on. Um, with your schooling or
1: you know that time you didn't take the trash out it's it's okay it's okay please continue it is absolutely and the irony is we're taking time off because I'm going to Edmonton (laughs) for work so we'll be busy hanging out in person Um, our sexy letters were no longer enough (laughs) yeah I was like must meet in person I must be near you um but we will be back the week after, and we do have an entire month of December chock-a-block with some cheesy-ass Christmas, Hanukkah, New Year's, fucking you, we, whatever. We got Never. it for you in the month of December. Yeah. So we're taking one week, but then we'll be back with some bangers for the ho-ho holidays. Some hoes in this house. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So go to Instagram and Twitter to see the covers of our books this week, and uh, join us back here the first week of December. Yes, I
0: yeah.
1: The, the year is coming to an end, twenty twenty one. I it up, is nearly f- behind us. Fucking wild that we're at almost December. Like I cannot. Yeah. Yeah, and you know what? Actually,
0: um, in a couple weeks. I will be a graduate. <gasps> yeah. Renee! I know. I know. I know we took this week to, you know, really just honor Joshua. Um, yeah. But if we could just make it about me for a second. Absolutely. I'm going to be a 34-year-old graduate really soon. I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. I'm never going to do anything with this <laughs> diploma. <so. laughs> um, but I'm so happy that we are wrapping up this year together as usual and i am so excited to see you next week
1: thank Um, you as are the many
0: julie lalone fans here in edmonton
1: (laughs) well brace yourselves friends i'm coming through um gonna eat me some green onion cakes Mm -hmm. Um, gonna you know try not to get the covid it's gonna be it's gonna be a time. time um but Yeah, thanks for listening to us week after week after week. 2022 is around the corner, and that will be our like full-on second year of running the show. So thank you for our loyal fans and listeners. And thank you, Renee, for uh, carving out some time to chat with me. Always. I mean, what else could I possibly be doing that could be better
0: (laughs) than this? Writing you sexy letters? (laughs) Come on.
1: (laughs) That's for amateurs.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to do what you do best and sing
1: us out? Sing a terrible song off key. Yes, girl. Ravage love. Ravage love. Thank you. And happy birthday, Joshua. Happy birthday, Bunfight! Bye.
0: Bye. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to join, or on social media at PS The Number Two J Show. Connect with us online at Ravagelove on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com.